Hello and welcome to another episode of Accessible Theology. My name is Aaron and I'm here with Michael. We're a podcast that's dedicated to the task of making theology accessible. Uh, We have conversations about many different things, but for our episode today, we'll be discussing uh, one of the seven I am statements of Jesus, where he says, I am the light of the world. Uh, We look forward to this conversation and hope you will benefit from it. Uh, and we are just thankful that you would take the time to listen. Uh, but we are going to jump into that conversation now. Uh, and we're going to do that so that you can know God, love truth, and live accordingly. So I figured it's probably a good idea for us to start with the actual passage that we're discussing, right? Uh, we will be looking at John chapter 8, verse 12, uh, where Jesus uh, makes this this claim. Uh, we've been looking at the seven I am statements, and if you uh, would go back and listen to our introduction episode, you'll probably understand a little bit better you know, where we're coming from in this episode. Uh, but we're just going to have a conversation about what Jesus is here claiming and then is able to back up, as we will see. Uh, so I'll start by reading John chapter 8, verse 12, uh, and we will jump in from there. So it says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Michael, I'm sure this brings up a lot of different things that we could talk about, but where should we start? What what might be helpful to us uh, to understand what Jesus is saying here? Yeah, uh, well, to briefly bring out some of what we talked about in the intro, on this whole discussion on the I am statements for those who are just jumping in now, the I am statements are statements in which Jesus is making what we could call an identity or an ontology statement about himself, that he is saying that he himself, uh, this is the eternal son and that he is co-eternal with the father, that he is himself divine. So there are massive claims in which uh, the author of this gospel, John, Uh, is telling us that Jesus is the son of God. He is himself God. And so when we get to a statement that he is the true light of the world, uh, we first, I would say, to understand this can go back to John 1. So I'm going to read just a few verses from there. And then we can go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible to see how this connects to uh, Jesus in his pre-existent eternal state. It's pretty incredible stuff. So first, let's read John 1. I'm going to read 1 through uh, about 8. So it reads, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And this light we see then is Jesus. And it picks up on that. And he very explicitly makes that claim then in John 8, 12, as Aaron just read. Then when you go back to Genesis 1, we see that the sovereign God of the universe who is self-existent, 
who is non-contingent that it has all life and being in and of himself is the cause of all creation he himself it's that we're told in genesis 1 creates all things he does throw he does so through speaking and we see here the word was with god so through the son and we're told the spirit's hovering over the face of the water so the triune god we're told in genesis 1 creates all things and we see that this sovereign god in genesis 1 is not in any way inhibited or stopped or prevented in any way by the darkness or the light or any creation unlike all the ancient Near Eastern myths you might read that have some similarities with the Genesis 1 account, all those accounts, they have God in some way being limited, in some way being frustrated by creation. But that's not the picture we get at all in Genesis 1. We see that he He speaks. He says, let there be light. There's light. Well, why? Because he is light himself. He can create light. And the darkness there's no threat to him. He tells the darkness when it can come into place. And that we see that picked up again in the gospel of John here, that the light cannot overcome the darkness. And here, uh, the pre-existent light, we call him the son of God, uh, as our creeds say, the light of light, right? True God of true God. He takes on flesh and is standing before fallen men, before darkness, before the seed of the serpent, before sinful Pharisees who hate him. And he tells them to their face that I am the light of this world and you can walk in my light and be in the right. So that's kind of the basic trajectory we see going on here. Yeah, that's helpful. Uh, just a good place to start because there's there's maybe even some thematic themes that we could, <laughs> thematic themes, there are thematic things that we could trace uh, with this idea of light. So maybe it would be helpful for us to look at some of the um, Old Testament passages that speak to uh, something relating to light and how Jesus, even in the verse we read in John 8, 12, is, is fulfilling these in some way. So we've got a, a number of verses to turn to. <laughs> I, think I, I think I said last time or in, in some previous episode, if you're able to turn there, like if you're not driving or not in the shower or something, turn to these passages, open them up, see what they, they say, uh, and follow along with us. So uh, did we want to start with Exodus uh, 25, uh, 37? Is, is that where we're starting? So yeah. if you want to uh, turn there, I can go to Psalm 27. One, so. Okay, that works for me. I will turn to Exodus. Oh, sorry, I'm going to click to Exodus 25. Uh, and we will read verse 37 uh, to see how this is pointing to uh, what Jesus claims when he says, I am the light of the world. So Exodus 2537 says, you shall make seven lamps for it. And we're speaking here of the instruments for the tabernacle. Uh, and he says, you shall make seven lamps for it and the lamps shall be set up so as to give light on the space in front of it. So this mentions light. Uh, are, we, are we saying that anytime we see light in the Old Testament that it's referencing uh, to Jesus or, or what's going on here? How should we yeah. think of this? Yeah, not every time. That would be that would be a strange reading. The reason we think that has connections is John 1, we're told that Jesus is the light and that he tabernacled. Like John 1, 14, it says that he, most translations will say dwelt, but literally the words tabernacled among us. So Jesus is fulfilling that tabernacle language and there's lights in there which are giving um, light so that people can walk in it. So we would make connections there showing Jesus is fulfilling 
mm-hmm. those realities from back in the book of Exodus. And then we also see this continued uh, when we look at, I'll read Psalm 27.1. And if Aaron, if you want to turn to maybe Isaiah 9.6 in the meantime, uh, 9.2, I mean, or something like yeah. that. Um, and I'll read uh, Psalm 27.1. We were told uh, that the Lord or Yahweh is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So we just see here that Yahweh is it says my light and Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world. So again, we're talking again about Jesus and his claims to divinity that he is this fulfillment. He is the one being referred to in these, in these passages of old and that he is the light and the salvation. There's a direct connection between light and being saved from darkness. So. That's right. Yeah. And that, that's, that's some of the, the thematic uh, things that I was talking about where, you know, if we look at scripture we can see different instances in which light is referred to as good, salvific, those sort of things, and darkness as evil, uh, which we can we can talk about that a little bit more here in a minute. But even just for us to read in Isaiah 9, verse 2, which says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them the light has shown. And, and so there's even this, um, this contrast that exists there between darkness and light. And this is, this is prophesying of the, of the birth of the Lord Jesus, of his incarnation, taking on flesh and coming to this earth. Uh, and he's, he's doing so in, in the midst of all of this evil and darkness. Uh, but then when he comes onto the scene, you know, it's, it's as if he is shining light into the darkness which has implications then for us as the church, which again, we can get to, but uh, just this idea of, of Jesus being spoken of in these terms in the old Testament, then he's claiming in the new Testament in John eight, as we've already read that, Hey, you remember Isaiah? Yeah. He was talking about me. He was talking about me as the light of the world, the one who is bringing salvation uh, to mankind uh, and, and, I'm fulfilling that here yeah, in, in your presence right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we see this continued in Isaiah 42, verse 6. We're told, I am Yahweh. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. So we're told that this, this is referencing in this chapter, the suffering servant who is to come, which is prophesying about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're told that he's a light for the nations. In other words, he will bring in bring in the Gentiles, which we see all throughout the book of John, that Jesus is uh, a light to the Gentiles. That is, and, and in some ways it's pointing us, we would want to say to the, um, the, the age change. What we mean by that is in the old covenant, you have, it's the people of Israel, but in the new covenant, it includes Gentiles in it. There's a change in salvation history, salvation, redemptive history in which the son of God in taking on flesh and being the light to the world is actually a light to the whole world he begins bringing in um people from every tribe tongue and nation as part of the the fulfillment of these promises yeah and that that phrase even is repeated in isaiah 49 uh which we have listed as well uh 49 in verse 6 where it says uh he says it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of jacob and to bring back the preserved of israel 
I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And that's exactly what Michael's talking about right there, that the, 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 the salvation plan of God was not ever limited just to the nation of Israel. And when Jesus uh, comes and says, I am the light of the world, there's this, this change that takes place uh, in the I don't want to say change that takes place in the purpose of salvation. What's a better way to say that? Well, it just, it, it expands because we even yeah. see in the old covenant um, in uh, Genesis, what is it? Genesis 14. And then in Exodus 18 In Genesis 14, we see Melchizedek, who's not of the nation of Israel and he's an, an eternal priest that becomes a type of Christ. But then in Exodus 18, you have Jethro, a priest of Midian, come to worship Yahweh. So from the beginning, people are able to worship Yahweh if they come in, but they have to come through the people of Israel and in some ways become Jews and proselytize, whereas that's not what happened. When you become a Christian, it's um, we could say it, it goes into cultures in a different way. It's not about the temple being a location that people come to in one specific area. It becomes the church. And uh, I think it's Michael Horton that says this in his book people in place he says the church becomes extroverted and begins mm-hmm. going out to the world I and that. i think that that's that's probably the best way to think about it so it's not there's a change that, that it's a yeah. change in the purposes of god but there's a growing fulfillment pattern that explodes i think it's john piper once who said that uh that the new covenant's like when you uh, split an atom and it just explodes mm-hmm. uh in some way says that the election of god was ultimately always about jesus but once Jesus fulfills that new covenant expectation and is the, and in his once for all time, death satisfies the wrath of God. It like, it blows up and like the, the light of God goes across the entire world. Um, as it says in second Corinthians four, that though the God of this world may blind them, the eye, the eyes of the unbelievers, it, we're told that the light of the gospel of Jesus shines into people's hearts now. And it's connecting back to Genesis one and other things like that to show that the new creation, which is Christ's new covenant work mm-hmm. is about bringing light to blinded Gentiles as well as, as Jew in a increased powerful way. Yeah. Yeah. And I was even talking about that last week in Sunday school with the glory of the new covenant you referenced second mm-hmm. Corinthians four the glory of the new covenant outglories the glory of the old covenant. And, and so there's this, this expansion that takes place uh, where it's, it's no longer just the nation of Israel. It's the nations, mm-hmm. uh, which is, which is, we see in the great commission, you know, we are to go to the nations. Uh, so that's uh, some of what Jesus is claiming here, but there's also uh, some, some passages in the new Testament that would be helpful for us in understanding exactly what Jesus is claiming here, we've referenced a number of Old Testament passages, but uh, maybe let's let's turn to the New Testament now to see uh, how we can better understand this. So the first one we can look at comes from John chapter 9. Uh, we can read verse 5. Are you there or should I get there? Yeah, I'm there. I'd be happy to read it. So yeah, I mean, this, this was an important one to look at because it's directly connected to what Jesus just said in John 8. So on the heels of saying that he is the light of the world, he then heals a man born blind, which again, think about it, blind, darkness, can't see, the light of the world gives this man light. So, and essentially, so I'll read, I'll start in verse uh, one of chapter nine, as he passed by, this is Jesus, Jesus saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, 
It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And then what he does is he spits on some mud, rubs the guy's eyes, gives him a sight to see. Amazingly, yeah. because the light of the world can give light to blind eyes. So the picture there is of, I just love all the language in here, displayed. He saw a man, boy. like there's all these languages that require light to yeah. show that Jesus is the true light. And notice it's directly connected to the salvation again. The light does not leave you in darkness. And I think a verse that comes to mind immediately to make that connection is in Colossians uh, t- uh, 1 verse 14 where we're told that we have been transferred out of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son, who is the light of God. So that's, that's the reality. We've been moved from darkness, from what we could call the old age or the age of Adam, the age of death and decay into the age of the last Adam, the light of the world, Jesus Christ himself. And that's the glory of what we experience as Christians right now. Yeah, that's, that's helpful. We we've quoted a few times um, a blog uh, called Indie Crow. Uh, the guy's name is Dustin. Is that a Dustin Crow? That sounds right. Yep. And he just, he says this, which I think helpfully summarizes some of the things that Michael just said. He says, light is one of the most prominent themes in John's gospel. The world is lost and hopeless in darkness, as we see in, in John 1, 4 to 14. And the darkness cannot change its condition. Light must enter and invade. One cannot see or lead others in the darkness, so light is necessary to guide us and walk forward. John picks up uh, light from a rich Old Testament heritage and shows how Jesus is the light. And and that passage that Michael just read, I think, typifies that. And, and, And we see blindness, which I think we could probably even call that like the ultimate darkness. Like you can't see. And Jesus comes and heals this blindness which yes is physical, but it also has some spiritual implications because Jesus is not just claiming I am the light of the world. He is showing how he is the light of the world in healing this man born blind uh, to show that he is in fact God and able to do this. Uh, so that's uh, just an important important theme in the, in the gospel of John for us to pick up as we consider uh, what this might mean, but also just to realize Jesus is not like his claim is not empty. You know, he's able to back up what he says by, by healing the man who's born blind. One other passage that we wanted to read is from Romans chapter 14. uh, And I'm going to read verse 13. Yeah. 13 verses 11 through 14. I wrote down 14. So thank you for that. Yeah. Like this kind of picks up in the middle of a verse anyway. Uh, Romans 13, 11 to the end of the chapter says this, besides this, you know, the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So this kind of even gets at some of the the application 
for us as believers, for those who have been brought into the light, if we are to um, live in the light, as it were, um, there are some things that we're going to have to put off the works of darkness, as Paul calls them here in Romans 13. Um, but we are, we are called to, to no longer be in this darkness. We are called to come out into the light uh, where Jesus is, where you know he's saying, I am the light of the world. Um, but this is our responsibility then as followers of Christ to live like we are in the light. So there are some other, some, some, some broader themes here, Michael, that I think you wanted to draw out. Um, yeah, specifically with salvation is nearer that now than when we first believed. What's going on here that'll help us understand uh, Jesus' statement in John eight? Yeah, well, let me read one other thing to connect this into to Romans. Uh, Paul says something similar in Ephesians five. He talks about not becoming partners with wickedness. He says he he commands us. Um, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are a light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that it becomes visible is light. And that come that connects back to what Aaron pointed out uh, from the 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 blog we've mentioned a few times now what what he helpfully pointed out there and what Aaron had re uh, read is that darkness can't change itself mm. darkness can't make itself light that's i think that the light dark is just as powerful a picture of the moral inability and the need for god to sovereignly change our hearts um uh, as the death to life picture right because mm. dead people can't make themselves alive but darkness cannot make itself light think about when you walk into a dark room like i just walked into my office earlier when i first walked in it was pretty dark in here flick the light switch on and the darkness is dispelled it mm. doesn't turn from darkness to light the light overpowers the darkness and chases mm. it out of the room so to speak and that's the picture we have is that when Jesus comes into the world, he runs the darkness out. So he talks all throughout John. We see that Jesus, that uh, the Satan is the prince of darkness, the prince of powers. And we see that he is cast out from that pick, from that place of power because darkness cannot overcome light. Even if you go into the most deep and dark cave, if you just take a match with you, it will that little flickering light will overpower the mere, this overwhelming darkness because light is more powerful than the darkness. So it's a beautiful picture of the power of God over uh, the darkness. But then, as, as Aaron mentioned, another important thing to note based on Romans uh, 13 is that Paul is talking about, uh, we mentioned it already, but I'm going to be more explicit now with it, uh, is what we call two ages. We have the original age, the age of Adam, we could say the age of sin, which also includes concepts like flesh. When you see flesh in, in Paul and even in uh, what Jesus says that you don't understand me in chapter eight, when he says that he's the light, he says, you don't understand me because you're of the flesh. That word flesh doesn't, he's not just saying, well, you have skin, so you don't understand me. What he means is your old nature, your fallen nature, and Adam can't grasp this. So that's what they're meaning. And that concept of flesh and fallen in Adam is the same, is almost synonymous, we could say, with the concept of being in darkness because you're shrouded by it. And the last Adam, Jesus, is the light that dispels it. And so what Paul is getting at then in Romans 13, what Aaron had just read, is that 
when he says salvation is nearer than we first believed, that's a reminder to keep looking for the return of Christ. So today, if you're a Christian, just I don't know how regularly you take time to think about the fact that Jesus is coming back, but don't get tired of that doctrine. Yeah. Allow the return of Christ that is imminent, that is soon, to pervade your thoughts to such an extent that you think like what Paul says here, salvation is nearer right now than when you first believed. You are closer at this moment than you've ever been in your life to seeing Jesus. And that's an amazing promise. So even in suffering, as you suffer moment by moment, you're also moving closer moment by moment to glory. And so there's hope that is found in this. And he says, Paul then in verse 12, that the reason this is the case is that the night is far gone and the day is at hand because Jesus has dispelled the night. He has done away with the night. And though he might have undergone the darkness of the crucifixion, he, he rose, the sun rose gloriously and his light is indomitable now in this world. So for Paul, what's interesting is Jesus tells his disciples, we read this earlier, where, where Jesus tells his disciples, well, the, the darkness will come again. And what he's referring to there is his crucifixion when he undergoes that. But after the resurrection, there's no such thing as this darkness. Paul says that the darkness is done away with. The night is far gone and we are living in the day. So as Christians, we live like that's true. We we don't give in to sin, as he mentions drunkenness, he mentions sexual immorality, all these forms of darkness. He says that is not who we are. We are a people that we do not partner with wickedness, as Ephesians 5 says, we expose it and we live in the light. I love how he says, walk as children of the mm -hmm. light. We've been brought into the family of God, adopted into his kingdom, and our God doesn't leave his children in the dark. He's turned the light switch on and Satan can't turn it off. So that's the, the world that we live in, and we're to, to live like that's true. So maybe we should just have a, a little bit more conversation on what specifically this might mean for us mm -hmm. uh, as we seek to live faithfully in this world as followers of Jesus. Um, you know, there's, there's going to be darkness all around us, um, and it is our job uh, to not not get caught up in that darkness, not to, to love the darkness. We're called out of that into light, but we're also called uh, to shine the light into that darkness to, as Michael is just saying, to dispel it. Uh, so there's, there's, there's things that are uh, personal to us in terms of our pursuit of holiness, how we are to live, but then there's also, you know, um, some evangelistic endeavors, I suppose, that we would we would need to be involved in because the light has come. Uh, and so if we're thinking about this in terms of what this might mean for our lives, then we need to think about, uh, you know, in what ways have I allowed the, the darkness to, to remain instead of um, turning from it and, uh, you know, walking in the light. But in, in other aspects, it might mean, you know, who in my life can I, can I seek to shine the light or, or share the gospel with uh, so that they're able to step into the light as well? So there's, there's, you know, there's these practical implications for us um, based on this claim of Jesus in that he is the light of the world. Uh, and, and we are, um, <laughs> I'm thinking of children's songs here, we're not to hide it under a bushel. Yep. Uh, and, and so, I don't know, Michael, any, any other thoughts on that for us? Yeah, I mean, I like how Paul in verse 13, he says, let us walk properly as in the mm. daytime. And you just right. think about like 
how much sin, how much more sin typically just happens at night? Why is it that, you know, most there's nightclubs and things <laughs> like that, right? Because during the day, that's inappropriate. It's not right. proper, right? Because there are children out and about. There's all these things like our culture. I mean, more and more, sadly, as our culture devolves, things that should not be in the light, so to speak, or in normal discourse are, which is sad. Mm-hmm. But even then, there's still this, there's still this reality that um, fallen man typically likes to do his business in the dark and as uh, the reality is as christians that that's just a picture that doesn't mean you can't there's some people i know that love staying up late and they do all their work at night and they do it well so it's not saying that you know you have to be in bed by 11 to be a good christian that's not what's being (laughs) uh, talked about here um but i think there is something to be said for the fact that in general when we think about the way that sin works itself out it oftentimes lurks in the shadows it's not something and if you think about secret sins that you may have struggled with in the past years, I think of many who have struggled with lust or pornography or things like that. It's that stuff you do in darkness, right? Hidden mm-hmm. away, not in public view. And Paul is saying, that's not how we're to live. We're to live as people properly as in the daytime, as though we're in the open, right? That we can be seen because God, because that is what it means that Jesus has come and has shown his light upon us. So, we're not to live in the nooks and crannies and crevices of society sinning. Instead, we're to throw those sins off and live in righteousness. And he tells Paul, Paul tells us later a little bit of uh, what that actually looks like. So he says, for example, to not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So the reality is, as Christians, if you want to shine your light, be somebody who's finding ways to honor other saints. Don't do things that actually would push people into old sin patterns. Like, Because Paul writes this right before um, what, what Aaron read about the light with Romans 13 leads right into a question of Christian freedom in Romans 14. And and about how some people might worship a little differently than others and how we are to um, those who are of us who are stronger and have freer consciences are to not um, put others who have weaker consciences under pressure so that they would do things that would actually be like darkness to them. In other mm. words, whereas Christians not to do things that essentially push people into corner into a corner that they would sin. And so there's a lot of uh, imagery you can pick up on here to say that we as Christians are to live as in the light. And we're by putting on Christ and making no provision for the flesh, what that's talking about is make no provision for there to be darkness in your life. Mm. So, I, you know, don't don't set up your life in such a way where you're moving towards going to sin in a dark corner alone or with a group of people. Instead, you're to put on Christ and it says make no provision for the flesh. So everything you should be doing should be living in light of the light and not in darkness. Yeah, that uh, seems like a great note for us to end on. Uh, and we're thankful that you would take the time to listen. If you've been encouraged by what you're hearing here at Accessible Theology, it would mean a lot to us if you would share this episode with a friend, uh, post it on Facebook, whatever you might do to share that. We would just really appreciate that. Um, and just even in light of what we've been discussing, uh, a little addition to our um, our sign-off, I'm gonna I'm going to charge you Uh, to live your light in the light of Christ, uh, so that as always, you can love God, know truth, and live accordingly. 